All right, thank you, Grace, and good morning, church. It's great to see you all here, and welcome to Community Church online and in person. You guys braved the rain, and so welcome into this place. Well, we are in our life-changing prayer series. Last week, we started the series looking at this idea that prayer is more about communion than conversation. Prayer is more about a constant presence with God and not just those set times that we actually pray. So we can look at our whole day, our whole life as a God being with us and God working through us. And I would encourage you guys to do this, to practice this in your day, in your week. Just try it on as you begin even as you leave here today, think about God is with me in this. We don't have to just pray with words. We can pray without words and just recognize that I am with God as I go to lunch. I am with God as I get into the taxi. I'm with God as I'm on the MTR. God is with me. He goes with me and he is in me. So try that on. Continue to try that on because Paul encourages us to pray without ceasing, right? Jesus says that we're the branch connected to him, the vine, this ongoing abiding in him is what prayer can foster in our lives. Yes, prayer is praying to God and having a conversation with God, but it's much more than that. Peter Grigg, who started the 24-7 prayer rooms, as he was starting those rooms, he, he writes a little bit of the history of getting ideas and how to do that. And so he approached Brennan Manning for advice on how to get people to these 24-7 prayer rooms where people would be praying all the time. So he brings his idea to Brennan Manning, who has who passed away now. He was a priest, an author, a spiritual guide. And Brennan Manning says this, he says, have people come, have them be in this place, but don't have them pray. He was like, what? That's the whole idea. He's like, have them be in the presence of God. Have them soak up and be transformed by God's presence and then bring that transformation out with them. And that was this concept here that we talked about last week. It's more about our communion, our ongoing connection to God than an occasional conversation. All right, today we're talking about God's character being more important than our character. Who we pray to is much more important than how we pray. His character is more important than our character. Does anybody here want a boring prayer life? Nobody, right? Well, this is the way to have a boring prayer life, to not be honest with God, to edit your prayers, to hide what's really going on underneath the surface, to create a speech for God instead of being real with him. Our prayer life can be exciting. It can be ongoing. It doesn't have to be guilt-inducing. It can be something that we take part of again and again. See, if we're not bringing our true self to God, he knows it anyway, right? So just be real. Don't put up that facade. Tell God what's really in your heart. Be honest with him, right? Prayer should be the place where we can be the most honest because of who God is. Because if we're not, we can tend to think of prayer as this, this, almost it can become a barrier to our relationship with God. We can think of the structure we have to go through when we pray. We can think of, what do I want to present to God? How will I order this prayer in a way that God will move and God will act? And the whole time it's all here in our head, but not really connecting with our heart. 
And that might not be easy, but that's part of how we can enter in. Mind is wandering. Bring whatever it's wandering to. You're thinking about a to-do list. Bring that to-do list to God. You're thinking about what you have to do next after this. Bring that to God. Invite him in. Let those things be reminders to you that God is present. Right? Sometimes we can think about prayer as being close to God, but not too close. What do I mean by that? Like, I want to be close with God, but can I really share some of this yuck that's going on inside me? Can I really share my mixed motivations? Can I really share some of the, the awful thoughts that I've had? Yes. God wants to know those things. God wants to work through those things. God wants to bring healing to those things. So we can use prayer instead of as a, as a gateway to intimacy. We can use it as just a step close, but not too close where it becomes uncomfortable. Sometimes we can think we've got to clean ourselves up before we pray. We've got to somehow be in a better place. But God wants to meet you where you are right now, not where you hope to be, not where you wish you were. He meets you in this present place. I love this quote by Richard Foster, who is just a, a wonderful guide to the spiritual disciplines. He says this, The truth of the matter is we all come to God with a tangled mess of motives, altruistic and selfish, merciful and hateful, loving and bitter. Frankly, this side of eternity, we will never unravel the good from the bad, the pure from the impure. But what I have come to see is that God is big enough to receive us with all our mixture. So bring it all to God, wherever you might be, whatever struggles you are having, God knows them anyway. And so be transparent with him as you step into that connection with him. See, we're saved by grace, right? But we actually live by grace and we pray by grace. We don't just, okay, now I'm saved. I've got to do this prayer thing on my own. No, God's grace will be in that as well and allowing us to connect. Now, the disciples, we're going to look at Luke 11, and it'll be on the screen. It'll be in your bulletin. The disciples asked Jesus to pray. How do we pray? They want him to teach him, and he, he tells them the Lord's Prayer, and he gives them two parables, right? See, they were used to prayers from the religious leaders that were very formal, that were praying scripture, that were litanies of prayer, talking about God in the most formal language. And they see Jesus praying in Aramaic, the conversational tongue of the time, in a very casual way, but also in a very intimate way. And Jesus calling God, Yahweh, Abba, Father, this enduring sort of close relational connection. So they want Jesus to teach them, how do we pray? And so Jesus does. He teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Pastor James Tang, who's the founder of uh, the, the director of Young Life and as a pastor at Kung Fu International, be here to speak on that. Today, we're going to talk about the two parables right after that and Jesus helping them to, to, to pray. See, Jesus wants to shift their understanding of what prayer is. They're looking for the proper way to play, pray because in their culture, in their time, they thought there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. And Jesus wants to show them it's actually who they're praying to which is most important. Right? It's not a formula. It's not the prayer's righteousness. It's who God is and his righteousness. He wants to draw them into this connection. 
I came across this quote from Richard Rohr this week, and it speaks to what Jesus is doing in these parables. Jesus did not come to change God's mind about humanity. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. Jesus comes to show us what God is like. And in these parables, he gives us a glimpse of who this God is. So let's unpack um, this first parable in Luke 11, starting with verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So in our last series, in our faith series, we were talking about different tools of interpretation. How do we interpret Scripture? Because Scripture was not written to us, but it was written for us. So we need to understand the original context that that Jesus is speaking into. See, Jesus and those around him, those around him, the disciples and the rabbis, in their culture, God's response to prayer depending on the person praying and their righteousness, right? If you were righteous, God will answer your prayer. If you were holy and pious, God will answer your prayer. But Jesus challenges this assumption in this parable. See, Israel was a honor-based culture, a shame-based culture. And so when somebody acted shameful, it brought shame not just on them and their family, but on their community. So failing to provide bread in this instance to this visitor who came in would have been a shameful thing. Would have been shameful for the person he came to, would have been shameful for the neighbor and for the whole village, that this was a a village that did not practice hospitality, did not welcome in the stranger. So this is why Jesus says in verse 8, this crucial verse here, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of, and this is the Greek word here, and an idea, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now what does that word mean in Greek? Some translations translate it as persistence or boldness, but it's, it's actually a challenging word to translate. So if it's persistence or boldness, then it leads you to believe that we have to pester God in order to act on our behalf. It's this constant coming to him that he gets up and responds. This sort of paints God as a reluctant provider who's disinterested in our needs. And we'll see As we saw in verse 9 and 10, that's not who God is at all, and we'll see it in the verses following. A more literal translation of that word is without shame. Jesus is saying that the sleeper's neighbor's friendship won't move him to get out of bed, but his desire to protect his own reputation will. He desires to be honorable and without shame. He does not want shame to come upon himself or onto the village. So a better translation here was, yet to preserve his good name, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need because of who he is and his character, his honor and that of the communities. 
Jesus' point here is simple about prayer. God does not answer our prayers because of our reputation, but because of his reputation. We're praying to God, Yahweh, a generous God who loves us. Jesus says it's not about us. It's about him and who he is. Verse 9 and 10 there tell us a little bit of our role, right? Ask, right? Seek, knock. We're invited into this process to bring our prayers, to bring our communion with God. We're not unimportant to the process, but we're not the most important part of the process. We don't have to convince him to open the door. He's going to open the door because of who he is. This is so important because if we find ourselves very far from God and we think, I can't turn to him because of what I've done or where I am, that is not God's heart for you. He will open the door to you. He will listen to you. He will be with you. Now, do these verses mean that every one of our prayers will be answered? If you've been praying for any length of time, you'll realize that not every prayer gets answered the way that you want. Now, this is really its own sermon topic. We were talking a little bit about yesterday in the men's life group, and um, I want to just briefly touch on this. What happens when we don't get the answer that we want? Uh, When we get a no from God? Now, sometimes... Getting the no can be a good thing, and we might not know it at the time. Um, When I was younger, um, I am really glad that God did not answer all of my prayers with a yes. Um, Things that were so important to me then that I was praying for, in my perspective, thought, I need him to say yes because of where I'm headed in my life. I want this to happen. But if God had answered all of those requests, especially one, I wouldn't be here today. See, as a teen... I prayed to God that I would become a CIA agent. And I was serious. I was up for a scholarship. It would pay my way through school. It would provide a job. I thought, God, please open that door for me. And I'm glad he didn't or I wouldn't be here today. Now, what causes me to pause in that moment, I can look back at my teenage self and go, oh, that was such a naive prayer, right? I I couldn't see what God would have ahead of me. But what causes me to pause is, what don't I see now? Right? What am I missing out on now? What part of the picture am I not seeing at this moment? We'll always see a limited perspective. We'll always see just what's right in front of us. Even as we grow in wisdom, as we grow closer to God, we'll never see his perspective. So some of our prayers, it's maybe a good thing that God did not answer them in the way that we wanted. There are other things that are just always good to pray for, right? Sin was not God's plan for this world, right? Having our environment be destroyed was not God's plan. Injustice was not God's plan. Brokenness was not part of his plan. Cancer was not part of his plan. So we can pray for these things, and we should, and we should be persistent in praying for them. And when those prayers are not answered, it is hard, and it should be hard. Me personally, you know, I prayed for a lot of people for healing over the years, and not all of them were healed. But I'll keep praying for healing, and I'll keep praying for a person who's wanting to be healed, and I'll keep praying for them until God says otherwise. And we can do that, and it's not easy to do that. But if we begin to hide, 
if we begin to shrink back, I don't want to ask that because then I'll be disappointed if it doesn't happen, right? Because we will be. We begin to edit our prayers. We begin to hide part of ourselves. Our heart begins to grow smaller instead of growing bigger to bring that to God. A book that I've been enjoying going through, and Neil recommended it to me, it's called Prayer in the Night. And the author of this you know, talks about prayer in a way, kind of in her dark night of the soul. And this is what she says here. It is better to come to God with sharp words than to remain distant from him, never voicing our doubts and our disappointments. Bring those disappointments. When you prayed a big prayer and it wasn't answered, bring that frustration to him because we have a God who cares for us and who doesn't have us do this journey alone. The next parable that Jesus teaches his disciples about prayer is this. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, the character of God is what Jesus wants his disciples to see here. It's who we pray to that's the most important not how we pray. It's God's character who's a good father who wants to provide for us and he will provide for us. I want to look at a final passage today in Psalms. Psalm 25, and this will be on the screen and in your bulletin. And it says this, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. See, what's the connection between these two passages? It's God and his character. This whole psalm is about your ways, God, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. Why can we pray for forgiveness? Because it's God, it's his name, it's his honor, it's his heart. So we can approach him with confidence that God will be God. We can approach him because of who he is. He's a God of incredible love and incredible grace and incredible mercy. In this series, we don't want to just talk about God. We want to take a deeper look into who it is that we are praying to because it will be transformative for our prayer life. We also want to take opportunities to pray as well in these services. Last week, if you were here, um, you'll know what we're going to do in a moment. We've got three prayer stations set up. The one over here is prayers for our city. On this side here, it's prayers for transformation. There's a little station there in the hallway praying for the world. And on front here is really coming to the altar with whatever is on your heart. You might have something that has not been answered yet and it's burdening you and you want God to act and you want God to move. Candles are a, a, just a brilliant symbol of hope. Maybe you're holding on by a thread right now and you want to see God move and a candle is an excellent way to remind ourselves that God is with you in this. If you're online or if you're here, I also want to teach you a prayer exercise called the prayer of exam and this comes from Ignatius of Loyola. He was a Spanish priest in the 16th century and just really 
um, has some wonderful prayer practices. And this prayer of examine has been used for hundreds of years now um, from Christians all over the world. And there's really um, three parts that I want to highlight in this prayer. And it's an opportunity, the prayer of examine is looking back on your day or looking back on the week. And the three parts are the first is thankfulness. What events or relationships or thoughts um, can you lift up to God and be thankful for? I was listening to a podcast this last week, and they referenced this study on, on neurology and how negativity is like Velcro. It'll stick to your brain instantly. It doesn't need any encouragement. Negativity, negative thoughts, you just go down that road. But gratitude and thankfulness is like Teflon. It does not stick easily to our brains. It, and the study found that you need 15 seconds to ponder and to be grateful in order for it to go into your mind, into your neural pathways. And so it's good to spend time being thankful. The second movement of the prayer of examine is, when was God distant from me? When did God feel distant from me? As you look back over the past week, did you, were there times where you felt like, I was not very close to God? What was going on for you internally, maybe externally? What events were going on? What drained you? Was there a time that you felt guilty, ashamed, or lonely? And then finally, the third movement is, when was God close? When did I feel closest to his presence? What events, relationships, or thoughts were, were happening at that time? When did I feel most free? When did I feel alive? What was the most life-giving part of my day? And this is a practice I found helpful over the years to, to end my day with um, and just to ponder, when was I doing that communion with God, right? When was I sort of 24-7 walking in his presence? When was I walking away from that presence? When did it feel like God was distant? What was happening on in, inside of me? So the worship team is going to continue to play. Um, these slides, they'll circle through. Um, so you can do the prayer of exam, especially if you're online. If you were in person, you can do this as well. But you also have the freedom in this time to visit any of the prayer stations. All right? That makes sense? You guys ready? Let's enter this time. God, I pray that you administer to each one of us for whatever it is we're walking through right now. Maybe we're walking through something tough. Maybe our loved ones are, God. Maybe we know of something that's a burden and we can bring that to you, God. God, I pray that your nearness would be here with us, that we would sense and know your Spirit's presence, and you would help us, God, to connect, to commune, to be with you, because you are a God who is gracious, a God who is generous. In your name, Jesus. Amen.